Welcome to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Two Writing Teachers is a meeting place for a world of reflective writers. Here on the podcast, we're excited to talk about ways to create, lead, and sustain joyful and productive writing workshops. My name is Stacey Schubitz, and I'm here with my colleague, Melanie Meehan. Let's work together to inspire and empower students to be competent, brave, and confident writers. Welcome back. I want to jump right in talking about promoting agency with you, Melanie, because anytime I think about agency, I think Melanie Meehan. Here we are. It really is one of my very favorite things to talk about. How do you empower students and kids to be in charge of their learning and invested in their learning? We really want them to be involved. I want to jump right in and just have you define agency for anyone who's listening so that we're all on the same page as we get started. Maybe I'll start with what it isn't. Okay. There are some big terms and words that get bantered about in education. And I don't know, they get kind of lost in the shuffle. There's compliance, right, where kids are coming in and they're looking really busy and they're doing things and Mm -hmm. that's something. And we can move up to engagement. And I think, you know, that's where kids sort of know what they're doing and are more excited to be doing it. They're not just doing what they're told. But I would say that those are really different than agency, which is when kids have the intention of getting better. Mm-hmm. It, it brings in that why they're doing something. Mm-hmm. So it extends engagement to not only what they're doing, but why they're doing it and that feeling that it matters and it's important. So that's that's where I sort of I see the continuum between compliance to engagement to agency. Mm-hmm. And I would shout out like, go for agency. That's the goal. Absolutely. This was actually a very similar conversation to what we had around the breakfast table this morning, as my daughter was not excited to go off to Hebrew school. And I was like, I know you are compliant. I know you are engaged, but I really want you to do more and get more excited. And I don't know how that went. But um, I think that's a really important continuum because what looks like agency might just be engagement. Or compliance. Or compliance. Yeah. Right. Right. So on that note, walk me through the instructional core, curriculum, instruction, and assessment. How do you help kids take charge of those components? That is how it's set up in the answers to your biggest questions about teaching elementary writing, we, mm-hmm. we move from the instructional core and mm-hmm. what the questions are, whether it's curriculum, whether it's instruction, whether it's assessment, but then chapter five really being all about agency. And I would just say like, it, it exists all within it. Like you can't really pull it apart. Mm-hmm. So, But I will say when we think about categories, it's helpful in terms of learning and in terms of developing practice. So if I'm thinking about agency in curriculum, that's the Mm -hmm. hardest one for me. I'm going to be honest. Okay. Why? Because curriculum can be so mandated or it's, it's so designated. You know, teachers, here are your units and this is what you're teaching. And it's really, really hard to deviate from those units. So, so that's where it's trickier. Okay. 
We can do tricky. We can do tricky. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the a couple of ways that you can think about student agency within curriculum is to think about having designated times for free writing or exploration. Mm-hmm. And that gives kids some agency in terms of what they're doing within a school day. I, I know that I'm working on this. Like, If you have kids who are interested in graphic novels, have some designated time that they can work on that, even if you're in an information writing unit. If you have kids who are interested in novels, during that time they can work on that. It might not be part of the curriculum, but there is almost like a genius hour designated mm-hmm. set of minutes. So that's one thing. Another thing, and this was, this is sort of a new practice in the last couple of years, even pandemic, before the pandemic starting, but Mm -hmm. people got more into it, was the idea of having independent writing, little mini independent writing units in between. I love that. I mean, I think that any time that we can give kids that level of choice, Mm -hmm. the engagement goes up and therefore they have an intention to want to get better at it because there is that level of choice with those independent writing projects. Right. And for those independent writing projects, what I'm envisioning isn't an independent writing project at the end of the year, which I I think many calendars are set up to have. And frequently those are the, the units that don't end up happening because there's a time crunch that happens, Mm -hmm. but instead to have like a week or two two weeks, in between bigger six to eight week units where you can say, you know, we have been doing narrative or information or opinion writing for the last several weeks. We're going to take a pause. And for the next couple of weeks, you have your choice and you can think about the kind of writing that you want to do about the topic that you want to do in, do it in. And It's huge. I remember introducing that with a school district I was working with. Um, There were some fourth and fifth grade teachers, one of whom said to me, I feel like every year before winter break, I'm peeling the kids off the ceiling and I just can't teach. And I was like, well, let's change that. And how about for the last two weeks of December, they're engaged in independent writing projects. And this is back in like 2017 when that wasn't necessarily always happening because they, it usually is on the June schedule. And there was such a difference with, I don't want to say behavior, but I'm going to say behavior in the classroom. She wasn't scraping the kids off the ceiling anymore because they wanted to be working on their writing. And then I would just nudge within that, that they want to be working on their writing and that's engagement. But then the nudge is and the power is that they are working on something specific that's yes. goal oriented, which yes. we'll get into. So that's, mm-hmm. again, always coming back to that continuum and that spectrum of what are you working on? Like as a writer, what are you working on? I get that you're working on this piece, but what are you trying to do intentionally as a writer that makes your writing better. And those are cool conversations to have with kids and to push them toward. They're very cool conversations because we all need to have goals that we're working towards. And frequently we don't. Yes. And and frequently someone, I don't want to say frequently because I feel like a lot of the teachers that I'm working with have moved away from setting goals for students, but setting 
goals alongside students is what increases the agency. Because quite frankly, I don't want someone to tell me what my fitness goals should be. They're not inside of my body. And therefore, it needs to be co-created if I have a trainer, which I don't. But if I did have a trainer, which I have in other points of my life, it needs to be co-created. I do not want someone telling me that like, I don't know, 30 burpees are my goal. It's never going to happen for me. It's just not. So I think that co-creation of goals to get to something that really works is going to be much more motivating. Yeah. I guess the other thing I would say about the opportunities for agency within curriculum mm-hmm. is whether it, whether there can be opportunities, and this is that multitasking thing or that maximizing minute thing, are there opportunities within other content areas? And you know, as I was thinking about this conversation, and I, and I think about all of the ideas about agency all the time, it, it's it's sort of my obsession. If you were going to say, like, what are the what are the big things that you think about when it comes to kids and learning, especially within writing, it's agency is right at the top. It bridges that line between instruction or curriculum and assessment in terms of giving kids choice about how they can show what they know within content. Mm -hmm. But it's something that I really wonder about. Like, are there ways that you can offer kids the chance to try something new in terms of their expression about what they know and what expertise they have within a content area? And that's kind of a cool thing to offer them in terms of you can make some decisions and some choices for yourself about what you're learning and how you're showing it. Beautiful. Let's move into instruction now. I have a feeling that way might be one might be a little bit easier to talk about. That is an easier one to talk about for a lot of reasons. Part of what I think is easy to talk about when it comes to instruction is that at the very core, you're teaching kids and teaching falls within the umbrella of instruction about what a goal is and how to set them. Mm-hmm. I will say Leah Coaches wrote a beautiful post recently about teaching kids, and she has kindergartners, the power of goal setting. So even five-year-olds can learn, I have goals that I work toward. This is what a goal is. This is what helps me meet my goal. This is what gets in my way. This is what helps me. This is, these are resources I can use in order to get there. So all of that is really helpful to kids. You know, we were talking about even, even within that, and I don't, this, this wasn't in Leah's, Leah's post, but I will say you can also teach kids within instruction to be on the hunt for when they are understanding. Mm-hmm. So teaching them to really be thinking, am I understanding what is being taught? And if I'm not understanding, what can I do about it? We are constantly self-assessing or we should be self-assessing. Like, mm-hmm. I would hope that you're sitting there self-assessing whether you're understanding what I'm saying. And that's a powerful skill to have. And I think that we run past its power as teachers sometimes when we have kids sitting in front of us and we're teaching and they're being compliant or even engaged, but not thinking, how is this lesson making me better? And right. that's, that's I, the- I often, and I don't want to get into it right now, but I often think of checklists as one of those things where kids are compliant or engaged, but they're really just checking things off. 
Well, I mean, we can get into checklists because they're one of those silent teachers that exist. I think they're a resource for kids to use Mm -hmm. in order to have agency. And you can teach them to see those checklists as a way that they can set goals like because really each indicator on a checklist should be a goal that a kid can have but maybe part of the problem is is that not every a lot of the times the checklists are for the whole class it's one it's a one one size fits all mm-hmm. and it doesn't fit all it had like I understand that you know if you have 25 to 30 kids you really are going to have trouble personalizing checklist. However, there can be like buckets that kids have commonalities and you can kind of, you know, make maybe six different editing checklists or revision checklists. So that way you can hand something to a student that's going to be meaningful, that's going to really help them as they go through their writing to make sure that they have it, not just checking things off. Right. Or you know, even better, like highlight the word co-creation, right? Yes. I think co-creation. And when I think about co-creation, and I'm just going to define that term here in the middle, but that's when you make something with kids. Mm-hmm. And I am constantly looking to nudge teachers to co-create charts that they use with kids because charts are another really amazing resource for kids to use and have agency when they're trying to figure out how to do something. And And I just want to pause you for one second for anyone who's listening who hasn't heard our episode on charts. If you think that Melanie is obsessed with agency, you should check out the charts episode because that is like her, her jam. I, I feel like I'm too old to say that, but that that really is something that she has a massive level of expertise with. So if you're thinking, well, how on earth would I co-create charts with my students after you're finished listening to this episode, go back and listen to the chart one. Okay, go back. Go, go, go. I feel like I've reached a whole new level of nerdiness that my jam is co- is creating charts, but <laughs> I'll take it. But I do think, you know, you can co-create charts and then kids understand them and they can use them in order to nudge their own agency. Mm-hmm. You can also co-create checklists with kids. And if if a kid, like I am, I know what I put down on my list of things to do, or I know if I write down, this is what I'm working on in a piece. I own it. It's um, It's in my brain. It's almost like on the front of my eyelids. And if that's the case and you can kind of create that sensation for kids, then they have agency. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, this can be a small group type of thing too. It takes a lot of time to sit with every child to co-create things, but this can be done in small group work as well as, you know, full class and and one-to-one conferences. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think you can, and there's like anything, I mean, and and making the decision between whether a teaching point is a whole group lesson, a small group lesson, or an individual lesson Mm -hmm. is always a process for a teacher. And it's certainly something that you could teach as a whole group. And there's some kids who are going to get it and be like, okay, I understand the idea that from this menu of possibilities on a chart or a checklist, there's going to be two to five maybe that I work on on any given day. Mm -hmm. 
And I do want to say for different kids, it's different. There are some kids who can handle a bunch of different things to work on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Sort of like your reading list, right? Like there are some people who can be reading a whole bunch of different books at the same time and following along and being okay with that. And there are some kids who can handle one or two things to be working on at one time. Mm-hmm. And that's an important thing to honor. It is. And I feel like I do some of that when I work with teachers about goals that they have for kids around conferring, you know, like being able to have some goals that they've co-created with students and then teaching into those. And often the students who need the most can't handle the most goals. So it's like, oh, well, this kid needs five things. And I'm like, eh, do you really think that you're going to be able to help them meet those? Like, what if you just had two short-term goals that you co- you know, work on together? And then as those are met, you can get to the other things and take it to the next level. And I think that you're making a really important point, Melanie, of like thinking about how much is the right amount that somebody can work on? Which is important for teachers to begin to understand about individual students and also important for individual students to understand about themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and part of this whole idea of agency is almost teaching kids to think about their own learner profile mm-hmm. and develop that and establish that so that over the course of time, they become the expert on how many goals they can be working on at a time and what tools and resources are the most effective for them to use for working on their goals and what sort of environment they require in order to do their best work. And and the more that kids know and understand that, it doesn't matter what content area they're working on. It could be writing, it could be reading, it could be math, it could be whatever else they're trying to learn, they become better learners and more powerful learners because they understand their own best systems and structures. Agreed. I want to ask you, what are some, and I know we've talked about mentor text before in a previous episode, but like, can you talk a little bit about agency and mentor texts? I love mentor texts. I mean, I have my MFA in creative writing and the way that I get better as a writer is to read something that I admire. So Mm -hmm. if I have something that I know that I have to write, my first thing that I do is go and listen to it. I think we both said at the start of this whole podcasting adventure, we spent a lot of time listening to other people's podcasts that we know and admire. And they were different ones. Yes, they were. And that's... I think that's an, that maybe that's like the hallmark of what I want to say, that not every single podcast that you would recommend to me was the one that I wanted to use for my own betterment. Mm-hmm. And not every mentor text that I think is important and valuable is the one that every kid is going to think is important and valuable. I once had a student who looked me square in the eye and said, I don't like any of the texts that you've picked this year. And of course, she said it in front of the full class. And I was like, I have two options here. I can be appalled or I can just run with it. I'm like, well. Say more about that. <laughs> yeah, say more. And what do you suggest? How can we find texts that are more meaningful for you? And I think that that was a big aha moment for me that not everything I know and love is something that every student knows and love in a way that was, you know, her saying, I'm not going to be compliant. I'm going to push back on you. 
And I'm going to have agency. Mm-hmm. Huge, like, huge moment. Because there are some logistical things about mentor techs and, and having things on hand. What I have done, and I welcome anybody to, to join in and share this project, but I've started curating a mentor text chart set. I have, you know, probably at this point, 30 to 40 books that I've taken a Sharpie and I've put page numbers on them because I need page numbers in order to reference them. Mm-hmm. But I've created charts where I have noticed and noted and explicitly named the moves that exist on given pages of those picture books. Okay. What's really a nice thing to do then is take those charts, put them on individual pages, run them off on cardstock mm-hmm. and put them on the inside cover of picture books as a bookshelf of choices that kids can can go use. And then kids can do one of two things. They can pick whatever cover they that appeals to them. Mm-hmm. Which I'm good with like, okay, this is the, this is the book that you're looking at that you think could appeal to you. Fabulous. Have a read. Or they can open up and they can scan that mentor text chart and see if any of the craft moves that they are looking to do. And there's the agency yep. exists within that book. And can they turn to the page in that book and find it? It's been named for, or it's been noticed for them. It's been noted. It's named. They need to go through those processes and then try it out in their writing. Mm-hmm. So it takes those steps. It almost scaffolds them in terms of how to use a mentor text, but it gives them that choice and that agency. And that's what I love. When I was just, I was working with a school district recently and sharing that with them. And one of the teachers had the really amazing idea of having a kid-facing chart and a teacher-facing chart. Say more about that. It was, I was like, I haven't thought of that. And I think that's brilliant. If you Mm -hmm. have a brilliant idea, you can own it. (laughs) But she was sort of envisioning having, uh, like there are some books that might have 25 craft moves throughout Mm -hmm. them. And it's a lot for a kid to take in. That's a lot of text. It's too much. If you know that you are, emphasizing certain teaching points, mm-hmm. you could create smaller, less dense uh, mentor text charts that are more kid-friendly. I would still explicitly name the move, but I yes. think you could put less on the page and make it thereby more accessible to a kid picking up the book and looking for it. I love that idea. I love it. I think it it really... It's very helpful for kids and it, it, it won't overwhelm them if it's done like that. Again, it's getting to know kids and it's getting to know what kids can handle within the classroom and how you can develop their capacity. Mm-hmm. So success brings success. And when kids start having success, they build their capacity and they'll be able to do more. But it's figuring out ways to bridge that gap between I do and you do. It's it's grad, it's the whole gradual release principle. Mm-hmm. Before we move on to assessment, I just would like to ask you, like, what do you do to teach students how to self-monitor during a mini lesson? One of the, my favorite things to do is to ask kids to, to explore their understanding with a fist of five rating. Mm-hmm. 
And it's almost like a checklist and you've got to be careful because it becomes an act of compliance very quickly and not a act of reflection. Mm -hmm. Kids are very quick to just go through the checklist and go, yes, 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 yes. And you're like, but where? Yeah. (laughs) Show me. And kids are very quick to put up a five and say, yes, I 100% understood Mm -hmm. because they think that that is the right answer. And so you really do have to teach into the art of reflection and how much did I really understand. And and you have to make it a safe place to be able to admit like a two. I You said something and I either zoned out or I really tried hard to understand and I don't get it. Right. I think there's huge value in teaching kids a self-assessment technique like FISTA 5, zero, no clue, five, 100%. As long as you teach them the nuances of what that FISTA 5 really means. Yeah. That is time well spent. Like, oh, absolutely time well spent because then the engagement will go up and the refle- the ability to reflect on one's learning in a meaningful way will increase. Yeah. And it's used, you can use it across everything there. Mm -hmm. It's not just writing isolated. It's not just instruction isolated. It's five. how hard were you just working? Right. And I I like that a little bit more than thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs to the middle. Like, oh, I maybe understand. It does give more nuance to it. Um, Now you've got five options instead of three. Yeah. Sometimes I'll start kids. You actually have six options. Yeah. I, I said it out loud and I'm like... No, it's six options because you can have nothing up. It's that math thing. Um, (laughs) When I'm first starting, I will teach kids, give me a fist of three or a five. Mm -hmm. And I'll teach into the nuances after that. So let's talk about other forms of self-assessment. What are some other ways that you can encourage self-assessment in the writing workshop? Yeah. So again, a really, really important way of building agency is enlisting kids to evaluate where am I on this goal setting thing? Like Mm -hmm. I I know I have a goal. I know I'm working toward the goal. I know I've got some tools that I can use toward the goal. Where am I in terms of working toward it? And Mm -hmm. when kids can work on identifying that, that's a really powerful thing. Yeah. So one of my favorite things to do with kids and for kids is to invite them to sign up for small groups. I've, I've done a lot of writing and talking about it. I frequently will call them seminars because mm-hmm. it's such an adult word. And I make that kind of a celebration for kids. Like sometimes when we're working on things and we're adults, we sign up for seminars. You get to. I invite kids to think about what is going to be the highest leverage learning for them. And Mm -hmm. they can come and they can sign up for that small group work. I will do that in a whole number of ways. Like the logistics are less important than the brain power for the sake of this conversation. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of pushback from teachers or I hear, yes, but what if they sign up for the wrong thing? It happens all the time. It's okay. Yeah. Or up for something that they've already that they already have mastered. Those are some really common pushbacks. And there's a couple of things to think about within self-assessment and agency within those questions. One is that an important thing that I can ascertain by kids signing up for something that I don't really think they need is that they don't know yet how to evaluate themselves. Correct. That's a really important thing to know. Like 
do I know that, you know, for your sake, do I know that my biceps need work? Like, Mm -hmm. and if you don't know that, then there's some teaching into that that needs to happen. Yep. I think another really important thing is that sometimes kids need validation more than we realize that they do and they need to feel success. And if they sign up for something that they already know how to do, it's almost like they're asking for validation. And we all need that. That's that Mm -hmm. insecurity, vulnerable place. And if they need to first hear that they've got something in order to take a risk and try out something that they don't have as securely, that's a really okay place to be. They're not going to spend a lot of time or waste a lot of time. It's not a waste of time. No, it's never. I think when we look at it as a waste of time, we miss this right here. This point of like, it's feeding into validating this child as a writer. Yeah, like we all have writing egos. Mm -hmm. And if we need our writing ego to be built in order to take risks and be more vulnerable as a writer, that's an okay place to be. I would just say, let let that writer come and be part of a mini lesson or a seminar or a small group or whatever you want to call it that you don't think they really need because for some reason they think that they really need it. And Mm -hmm. that's good enough. Progressions are an unbelievably powerful thing to do with kids. And I would say spend the time building a set of progressions or finding them that you can use. Leah's post had the progression of moving from... uh, having the first letter of a word to writing sentences for kindergartners. Let kids decide whether they're ready for first letter of a word or first and last letter of words, or maybe a vowel in the middle or a sentence. Mm -hmm. They can make that decision of what they're going to try. That's a lot of power and agency and ownership for them to have of their learner and for themselves as a learner. That's a great thing. Agreed. Yeah. So you can build that all the way up to I'm going to establish a really strong beginning in a narrative piece. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use text features effectively in an information piece. I'm going to unpack evidence in an opinion piece, like show them kind of a bare bones way, a way that another rung in the ladder, another rung in the ladder and a final rung. I tend to use three. Mm -hmm. I feel like three is kind of a magic number. There's power behind three and it's accessible. It's not too much. For some people. And sometimes some people need more. That's and that's okay. That's why we have four and five level progressions. And some people need less. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of figuring out what is it that that person needs and how can I provide it? And I will say progressions are really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. And they help kids start to look at their work more openly. Mm -hmm. Like Maybe I'm in the middle of this one. Yeah, yeah, maybe you are. Yeah. So what can you do? And and it there's there's clarity in it for kids and it's visible and they can figure out how to move up in a way that feels doable. So that is where I would say you can you can get kids if you give kids the tools to self-assess then you can inspire them to do that. And that is an unbelievable step in in terms of building agency within a writing classroom. Well, you have really highlighted and shown us the way to 
Build Agency Among Students in Writing Workshop today. I thank you so much for your insight and your expertise. I love learning from you. You know, you are my chart go-to. You're my agency go-to. <laughs> nerdy level high here. <laughs> I, I see no problem with it as long as you own your nerdiness, So, um, which I do too. So thank you, Melanie. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Check out the show notes for links to the items we mentioned in this episode, as well as ways to connect with us. For more about the teaching of writing, head over to the Two Writing Teachers blog at twowritingteachers.org. If you liked what you heard today, please share it with your friends and colleagues, post about it on social media, like, subscribe, and leave us ratings and reviews. Our music is by Lemon Music Studio. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at contact at twowritingteachers.org. Thanks again for listening. Let's teach, learn, and write on together.